The Bible says that if you belong to Jesus, you're free in Christ, but a lot of times we still act like we're enslaved. Some of us act like we're enslaved to religious rules and regulations and checklists, and sometimes we act like we're enslaved to the sinful patterns and desires that the habits that we've built in our lives. So today what I want to explore in Galatians chapter 5 is what it means to be free. Kind of pulling together the things we've seen in Galatians so far to determine what does it mean when the Bible says that we are free. And so, now this doesn't work. Okay. Let's see, what am I doing wrong here? No. No, that, it, it, light, it lights up pretty good. It's probably not the batteries. Uh, we might have lost the connection, so I need help up there. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah, we're going to look at the dog all the whole time, I guess. Okay. <laughs> all right. That would that'd be okay, really. Uh, so we're calling the message um, True Freedom, Galatians 5. Now, here's some, here's some background of what's going on in the book of Galatians so far. So in most of the Apostle Paul's letters, what he has done, he's written it with a certain... Uh, framework in mind. And so, it mostly in the first part, it dis- deals with theological truths. So, in the first part of his letters, and here in Galatians, that's chapters 1 through 4, basically, he's talking about the underlying truths that, that what, are, what God says about reality. And so, in this case, he's been explaining that there's one true gospel. There's only one good news message of God for humanity that we're saved by Jesus plus nothing else. There's nothing that anyone can add to what Jesus did on the cross. And he made that abundantly clear in those first chapters in a whole bunch of different ways, drawing on on Old Testament uh, principles, talking about his own experience with this in his own life. And the reason he had to do that is because when he first delivered this gospel to the people of Galatia, then he had to leave and other people came in behind him with a different message. And the other people were saying that, yeah, we're saved by Jesus, but it's Jesus plus works. And in particular, they were saying you have to also embrace the Old Testament law of Moses along with Jesus the Messiah to be a true, legitimate Christian. And so Paul is responding to that in the first chapters of, of Galatians. Now, the second part of most of Paul's letters, he, he outlines the theology that's necessary for what's happening in that church. And then the second part in, he goes to practical considerations. And so, he's talking about how life is different because of what God says and how that applies. And so, actually, here in chapter 5, the first half of chapter 5 is really the tail end of the theology section. And then the rest of chapter 5 and on into chapter 6 is the practical section where he's talking about if there is only one gospel, if our relationship with God is by faith alone, if the recipe is Jesus plus nothing, then how does that affect how we live? Then so what? And so let me remind you of an important theme that we've seen in the book of Galatians so far that um, we're calling this the sweet spot of grace. Okay, it's like you're, dr- you're driving down a country road in the middle of winter. It's a winter storm. For some reason that I can't imagine, you have to go way out into the northwest part of Cache Valley or maybe even the other side of the mountains, and you're going past Malad, and then you're out there. There's no services, and the, the snow is coming down. 
And, and so you're being careful because you know on that side of the road, there's a ditch. And you want to stay out of it. And you know what? On the other side of the road, there's a ditch. And you want to stay out of that. It's not like, well, I prefer one ditch over the other ditch. Right? No, I don't want to go in the ditch. Well, biblically, in Galatians, the, the ditch on one side is sin. How do we stay out of that ditch? Just from not, not, so how do we live to honor God and obey God? The ditch on the other side in Galatians is works. How do we honor God but we don't become uh, enslaved to works? If you slide into either ditch, you're going to get stuck, right? And your journey is over. So just to play this out theologically, there's two terms that theologians use to talk about these things. They talk about justification and sanctification. Okay, let me explain. Justification has to do with how a person is made right with God. And that's the theme of chapters 1 through 4 in this book that we're reading. How are we made right with God? And we're seeing that we're not justified by our good works. Those don't make us right with God. But being justified by faith alone in what Jesus did, then then that's not a reason to go on the other side, the other ditch. It's not a reason to go and just live a life of sin. Now, the second word is sanctification, and that is once you're right with God, sanctification is how a person's behavior and their life actually changes over time. It's the life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit in us. So as a result of being right with God, then how do we live? That's chapter 5 and 6. And, and, and grace is still the sweet spot. If you think about it in terms of of our diagram of going full circle as a Christian. We use this diagram at Alpine Church. The, the first arrow is, you know, we, we, uh, we're, we trust Jesus. We start by trusting Jesus. That's justification. And then the second arrow says we live to honor God. Well, that's sanctification. Okay, and so the sweet spot of grace applies to both of those. We don't start living the Christian life by trusting in Jesus alone, and then we start living out the Christian life and, and applying it every day by keeping all the religious rules. We start by grace, we start by trust, and then we live by grace, we live by trust going forward. When you, when you start with faith, but then you go on to works, that's called legalism. And then at the same time, we don't start the Christian life by trusting in Jesus and then go out and just live for sin and live for self and do whatever we want. That's called license. And, and today we see in Galatians, the Christian life really steers away from both of those extremes. And the word that chapter 5 uses to describe that sweet spot, that right in the middle spot, the word that Paul is using here is the word freedom. So let's take a look at what's going on in Galatians 5 a little bit. First thing I want you to understand, Jesus came to give us true freedom, not slavery to works on one side or to sin on the other. Now in our culture, freedom is defined usually a certain way. People think of freedom, they think of the absolute ability to do whatever they want without any boundaries at all. That's what, like, I'm free, right? Well, that's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about freedom from these two powers that are at work in our lives, and both of them that, that will enslave us in different ways. And the, so in the Christian life, free doesn't, freedom doesn't mean that you don't live to honor God. It doesn't mean that now you're the boss of your life and you're not accountable to anybody for anything. But freedom here means you're not going to get stuck, you're not going to get enslaved by sin on one hand or by religious rules and regulations and works on the other hand, right? 
And so let's look at Galatians 5, verse 1. Here's how he introduces um, this topic. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now again, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So that's one side. Right? That's the legalism side. Christ set us free from, from the demands of religion. Now, in, in the legalistic perspective, they would say the way to sanctification is to keep all the laws and rules and checklists, whether it's the rules of the Old Testament or whether it's man-made rules of some religion, religious system. So that's the one side. Now, that obviously raises a question that a lot of people have had over time. The question is, wait, wait, if you don't have the rules, are you saying that anything goes? That you can just live however you want to? Because what I've experienced, and I've seen this so many times, is that when a person breaks free from a legalistic system, maybe you were raised in some kind of a legalistic religious system, and when you break free, you suddenly feel like the pendulum swings really hard in the opposite way, and you think, now I'm going to go do everything they said I couldn't do before, right? And you just uh, like, blam, anything goes. It just puts you on the ditch on the other side of the road. Well, Paul addresses that in a parallel passage in Romans chapter 6. He says, well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So this is the argument that people have been making since the very beginning of Christianity. Is, look, if you make it all about grace, if you make it all about promise like we talked about last week, the argument goes, then, then doesn't that mean we can just go sin as much as we want? Because we're covered by God's grace, right? I'm saved anyway, right? And so, in fact, the more I sin, the more God's grace is awesome. So let's have at it, you know? And Paul says that's just a gross misunderstanding of salvation because he said there's something else more fundamental that's going on here. As a Christian, he says we're not the same people anymore that we were. We don't have the same relationship to sin anymore that we used to have. He says, you've died to sin. I can still sin. I'm still, it's still possible for me to do that. But something fundamental has changed about my identity and so that it becomes completely irrational for me as a new creation in Christ to continue to live in the old way that I lived before. So we're free, we're free from religious law on one side, we're free from the power of sin on the other side. So Christ sets us free from these bondage of these two different kinds. Now let's take that one step further. True freedom is about getting back to the original intent of the law, love God and love others. We're going to see this in just a moment in, in, in verse uh, 14. But in context, now the last four weeks... We've been spending a lot of time talking about the Old Testament law and, and how the Old Testament law is not how anybody has ever been saved and doesn't get saved or right with God by keeping the Old Testament law. But what we did see last week, we saw how the law is good. God gave the law. The law has its place. However, its place is not as a way to get right with God. You drill down underneath the, all the specific regulations and rules and things of the Old Testament law, you drill down to the heart and core of it, you see the heart of the law, the intent of the law is good because it reflects the character and mind of God. But what happens is that man-made religion 
create all kinds of checklists, all kinds of rituals, all kinds of to-dos, and you create so many things that the original intent of the law often just gets buried, and it's no longer even visible, and people don't even remember what the whole point is. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he reminds us of this. He says, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Stop right there. For, that's the other side, right? Verse 1, your freedom is not about keeping the rules. Here in verse 13, your freedom is not about uh, indulging the sinful nature. He says, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So again, here's the boundaries of biblical freedom, right? And this is where the intent of the original law comes in. In verse 14, he says, the whole law is summed up in this one underlying principle from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that mirrors what Jesus said. He said it in Luke 10 other places where Jesus said, here's these two most important things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Paul doesn't say that here, but he's been saying that all four in the first four chapters. And then love your neighbor as yourself. See, when you're not living in bondage to sin and self, you have some space in your heart, space in your life to serve other people. When you're wrapped up in sin, you just don't think about other people except how you can manipulate them or get what you want out of them. And when you're not living in bondage to religious rules on the other side, then you serve other people in love. Legalistic religious people serve other people, no question. But from what motivation? Maybe it's obligation, maybe because it's a checkbox on the list. Or maybe you're serving to get noticed by other people, so you think I'm a righteous person. Or maybe sometimes in, in religion we serve in order to prove something to God or prove something to our leaders or whatever those religious motives are. He says, now you serve just out of pure love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, one thing I want you to notice here, the implication of this is that true freedom then goes beyond outward expectations of behavior. You know, in religious systems, it's outward expectations of behavior are pretty important. But... The Bible relocates obedience and honoring God into the heart. That doesn't always work with religion because I can't measure what's going on in somebody else's heart. So let's take a look at, you know, going back to the law and how that's played out in the Old Testament. We have some insight in this in Ezekiel chapter 36. God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. What a great promise that is. That is so awesome. See, under the old covenant. So Ezekiel happens late in ancient Israel's history. Earlier, in, so it's, it's hundreds of years after the law of Moses was given. And under the old covenant and the law of Moses, Israel had failed to honor God. They kept falling in, into idolatry and sin and selfishness. They turned from God all the time, every generation. And Israel now, or Ezekiel now is written in a time after centuries of that. God says, okay, Time to have a little heart-to-heart -heart here. He takes them to the woodshed. This is a time of discipline where God is purifying them, bringing them back to Him. And it was tough for them. But God didn't give up on them. 
And he wanted them to know he was not giving up on them. And he wanted them to know that he had a future in, in store for them. And so he says, look, I'm, I'm going to deal with the problem at the very root. I'm not just going to give you the rules to keep because you've shown me that you can't keep the rules. He said, but if, I, if you belong to me, I'm going to do heart surgery. I'm going to take out this old heart that that's keeps being inclined away from me. And I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart. And he says, then I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you so that you're able to do the things that honor me. You're able to reflect my holiness in your life. So, see, here's one of the biggest problems of legalism. No matter what, where you find it, that religious rules and ordinances have no power to change anybody from the inside out. Right? Legalism is not able to address inner motives and attitudes and desires. And because of that, often you see people who emphasize keeping the religious rules all the way back to Jesus' days, he's interacting with the Pharisees, all the way up to our day and all kinds of different uh, groups and religions and denominations express this legalism. But what happens, you often look around and you see that, that people who emphasize legalism often turn out to be pretty hypocritical and pretty judgmental. And often there's a big difference between their private lives and their public front. Now, I know religious people are going to make this argument. They're going to try to make the case that without the rules and the checklists, people just won't do what's right. Without the rules, people just won't honor God. You know what? That's not true. That's not how the Bible takes it. Because God, it says here in Ezekiel, has given us something greater than external laws to govern our lives. Everybody who trusts their life and their eternity to Jesus, God has placed His Holy Spirit within us. You know, the Holy Spirit is God Himself. Do you realize that, right? He's the third person of the triune God. And so as a spirit, He's not limited to one physical place at one, one time, and so He can be present and resident in all of God's people all the time. And as God, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. And so as He lives in a Christ follower, he has the power to change us from within and so that the ultimate outcome is that the intentions and the principles of God's law become knit into our very inner being. They become written on our hearts, not just in our book, not just on our list. And so what that means and where I want to take this message, to, what I want to conclude with this is this principle that true freedom then can only be achieved from the inside out. And it's the product of the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. You know, what I've discovered over the years, in all the years of ministry and just looking at people and talking to people, so many people, I've discovered that people who insist on rigidly following religious rules and rituals, they simply don't trust the Holy Spirit. The Bible's saying that the Holy Spirit does this life-transforming work in a believer, but the legalist says, that's not good enough. When it comes to being right with God, back to that idea of justification, right, what the legalist, all the way back to the Judaizers of Paul's day, what the legalist is saying is that the work of Jesus alone is not enough, you've got to keep the law. 
But here's the thing that we see today to add to that when it comes to living the Christian life or sanctification, the legalist is saying the work of the Holy Spirit is not enough. You've got to keep the law. Whereas the Bible tells us the work of the law is not enough. Only the Holy Spirit can change us and make us free from the inside out. Now, what does that look like? And what, that, that's a vague, abstract thing maybe a little bit. What does that look like in practice? Let's explore that. Because that's where Paul goes next in chapter 5. He wants to establish the primacy of the Holy Spirit with respect to the law. But he wants us to also understand a little bit about what is this going to look like in our lives. So look at uh, verses 16 and 17 where he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So there's a fundamental battle going on inside every Christian. On one side, in one corner, you have the old nature. In the Greek, that's called Sarks. This is your little Greek lesson for today, S-A-R-X. The King James Version, older translations have translated this the flesh. But I'm not particularly fond of that because the, the whole idea is that the sinful nature is not just about the physical part of you. That's what the flesh implies. That's why modern English translations use a phrase like the sinful nature. And in verse 16, he defines it. This is the aspect of our inner being that is inclined against God. It's the aspect of our inner self that wants to do the wrong thing. And then in the other corner over here, the the contrast is then you have the Holy Spirit who comes to live in you and He wants to do just the opposite and so you have this battle of the wills sort of going on. Well, the uh, the, the Holy Spirit is God, right? So we know ultimately who has the power to win that. But you and I, we've all experienced that inner conflict, haven't we? You know, these two forces trying to mold our behavior, mold our choices. Paul says that's, not why it's always, that's why it's not always easy to carry out your good intentions. You might have all the best intentions in the world and you try to you do it by willpower. But he says that's because the old nature is still in there and he's, it's exerting its influence. So what's the answer to that? Verse 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. That's the only way to overcome what the sinful nature wants. Religious law does not have the power to overcome the sinful nature. When you try to apply the rules, then what the sinful nature does, it just goes underground. And it just takes shape in other more, quote, respectable ways or even in religious ways like pride. Only the Holy Spirit can win that battle. Now, in the original language where it says, let the Spirit guide your lives, originally the the literal is walk by the Spirit, In other words, letting the Spirit guide is a step-by-step process, right? And you've been walking your whole life, and and so you just put one foot in front of the other. That's how you walk. Well, maybe you have an app on your phone that counts your steps. You do that. My son is in town, and he was showing me. He said he started counting his steps. His goal is 10,000 every day. I have no idea what that means. There's a lot of steps every day. We all take a lot of steps every day, some of us more than others. We also make a lot of choices every day. 
Right? There's probably choices we make every day we don't even think about. That they're called habits. Right? They, they're on autopilot. We make all these choices that we don't even think about. But when you're walking, one step in, you don't have to think about that. You know, most of us, unless you're rehabbing from an accident or something, you don't think about your walk, how you're walking. Now, but when you're walking by the Holy Spirit, you need to think about that. That's something that, that we need to learn how to do, and we le- need to learn how to put one foot in front of the other spiritually, and over time, then hopefully it becomes more of an automatic, more of a natural thing. Now, I had a cold a couple weeks ago, so woke up in the middle of the night, you know, and I, I'm all just plugged up. I needed to go get a decongestant. I'm in the bedroom. The decongestants are in the kitchen. It's dark, bare feet. You know the drill, right? Because you've, you've had to walk across your house at some point in time in the dark without any shoes on. So you know what the hazards are. Remember that? I don't have any little kids in my house anymore, but I remember the hazard of Legos, right? You remember that? Well, I don't have any. Right now the hazards are just chairs and tables and stuff like that. So I'm walking barefoot in the dark through the house, but I'm very aware of all the obstacles on which I can stub my feet and, and break my toe. And you know what? I... I walked into the stinking chair anyway, and I knew it was there. I just thought it was like here when it was actually like here. You know, so, but I was trying to be careful. I slowed down. I was walking a little more gingerly, you know, moving forward on the lookout for those things. And I thought, man, that's the kind of intentionality and the kind of mindfulness that goes into letting the Holy Spirit guide your life. That in my life, I know where the obstacles out there, that where I'm going to stub my toe spiritually, right? I, I know where the, thing, the things that I might typically think or say or do that flow out of the sinful nature instead of out of the Holy Spirit, hopefully. So I slow down a little bit. I'm a little more careful about the choices that I make. In other words, the Holy Spirit's victory in our life is not automatic. He doesn't override your consciousness or your will or your choices. You know, it's not like suddenly here you're here and then boom, you're there. You still got to walk there. But he empowers different choices so that you can choose differently than you chose before. That's why, honestly, that's why it's a good idea to spend time every day preparing for what lies ahead. To spend time reading the Bible, to spend time in prayer with God So that when you face life with greater awareness of the Holy Spirit's leading, then you're more likely to succeed in following His leading. Now, as he moves on into verses 18 through 22, he tells us more about this basic inner conflict between the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. And so verses 19 through 21 are about what the sinful nature produces in our lives if we let it have its way. Verses 22 and 23 are about what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives as we let Him have His way. Now, remember in context, okay, what is the ultimate intent of the law? It's love God, love people, right? And so look at the things that the Holy Spirit produces in verses 19 through 21, things like hostility and quarreling and jealousy and anger and division and much more there as well, those don't contribute anything to the intent of the law. In fact, they're contrary to it. 
And what does the Holy Spirit produce? Things like love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and more. And you know what? If those things begin to be shaped in your life, then you're going to be a great spouse, a great friend, a great parent, a great employer, employee, a great neighbor, and you will begin to fulfill the intent of the law. One last verse, Galatians 5.25. This is kind of wrapping it up here for Paul. He says, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. He doesn't say, since we're led by the law, let's follow the law's leading. Because if you're living by the Spirit, you're going to fulfill the law. Or we have a, a great topic on this, uh, um, a secondary topic in our website. It's called All About Walking by the Spirit. There's a short video there. I encourage you to check that out. Use some of these resources, too, with your family and friends to learn more. It's important because it's important to understand that this is not a formula. Okay, now, in my Christian life, I've tended at times to look at it like a formula. Here's the steps, right? Can I just follow these steps, and then I'm good, right? But no, it's a relationship. And relationships are fluid, and they're, they're dynamic. And, and so we're learning how to live by the Spirit and in relationship with this triune God who is living in residence in, with us and in us. I thought of it like this. So... My wife Sally had ACL surgery in February, and so she's been going to physical therapy the last couple months. And when she goes into the physical therapy appointment, it's awesome. She learns so much. She makes so much progress. She comes home. She's all encouraged. And then the next day, it's not the same. And she can't remember everything he told her to do or, or what he did. And she can't, like, it's a little more challenging um, because she doesn't, you know, have her therapist in her ear all day long, all the time. And she can't just ask a question any old time, distracted by life and work and all the rest. And I thought, I said, man, living by the Spirit is a lot like having your physical therapist with you all day long. You can just talk to him about how it's going. And, you know, you got a question, then you just refer to it. It's kind of like having your coach or your trainer or your tutor or your counselor just with you all day long, or at least on speed dial, right? Now, of course, your spiritual disciplines are a big part of that because when you're reading your Bible every day and you're spending time with God and setting aside time for prayer, then it's easier to maintain that relationship, that connection with the Holy Spirit moment in and moment out. So let me close with this. Practical thought for you. Um, where, do you see, where do you see the Holy Spirit working in your life right now? Where do you see fruit happening in your life? Do you see something that, that's, that's, become, that's been growing? Maybe you're noticing that you respond to situations differently than you might have in the past. Or maybe you notice that you're not so hard to live with or work with than, as you used to be. Or, or, or you know what, you just have a different way of looking at life situations, the challenges or temptations, and, and you're just approaching them differently. Why? You go, I'm not sure why. Oh, yeah, because God's been at work in my life. The Holy Spirit is doing His fruit in my life. And I want to encourage you this morning to celebrate that, celebrate that. Even the baby steps that you see Him doing in your life, man, that's cause for rejoicing. That God, the Holy Spirit, is resident in you. But He's not done with any of us yet. And so the other side of the question is, is what's the Spirit showing you that He wants to work on next? And I just encourage you to, as you identify, most of us have a sense of that, right? 
there's that area in our life where we're just not totally satisfied with it. And so it's a matter of, hey, let's start talking to God about that. God, I want to be led and empowered by your spirit in more in this area. God, I want to walk in step with you all the time. When I'm driving, when I'm at work, when I'm at school, in, in my conversations with my kids, etc. God, I, want, I need you to help me be aware of those obstacles so I can take each step accordingly. And I want to draw on your life and your power and your wisdom all day throughout every single day. Because here's the thing, if you belong to Jesus, he has set you free from religious rules and checklists. He's also set you free from sin. And so the Holy Spirit can do in you what the rules could never do as you learn to live in step with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you, God, that you didn't just give us a book of rules and walk away. And leave us struggling to live up to what you demand. But thank you, God, that you said you, um, you're going to change our heart. You're going to put a new heart in us. You're going to give us the Holy Spirit. It means you, God, you personally, you're going to come and live inside your people. And you're going to make changes in us as we surrender to you. So, wow. That's so encouraging, God. And, Father, you know... I'm not always living in step with you, and I'm stubbing my toe on things, and I'm wandering. It's where I shouldn't be walking, and and I get busy, and you're always there, but I'm not always there for you, and because I kind of forget you're there, or I kind of stop talking to you, and I kind of stop listening to you, and you're always there, waiting for me, God, to come come connect with you again. So help us, God, help us all to live in that connection. Help us all to live with that level of thoughtfulness and intentionality day in and day out. And when we find ourselves drifting away from you, Father, by your grace, help us to just remember, hey, just come right back and start over again and and, and get back in touch with you again. Because we need what you can do in our lives. We need this freedom. We need freedom from religion. We need freedom from sin. Thank you that your plan is the best one. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit today, even as we worship you. God, we ask you to renew us and refresh us in your presence today to make us everything that you've called and created us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen.